Hi, welcome to the Get Strong and Healthy podcast. My name is Anna Clow. Thank you for being here. Today, we have a very exciting guest coming on today, Mike DeVivo. Mike, or Coach Vivo, and I met at a networking event, and we quickly connected over our coaching philosophies, our stories. Mike has quite the fitness journey story and, you know, experience and stuff to offer as a coach. And so I'm really excited for you guys to learn from him today. So Mike, I'd love if you kind of expand on your story and we'll go from there. Yeah, sure. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So when we met at the event, I was like, oh yes, more people like me basically. Cause I sometimes feel like in the fitness world that it's hard to find people of similar philosophies, you know? So that was really cool. Just wanted to say that. Yeah. But a little bit of background on me. I usually start with the fact that I used to, I used to weigh about a hundred pounds more than I weigh now. And that was back about 17 years ago now. And I've kept it off. And the big reason why I've been able to keep that off is why I have the strength training and behavior change philosophy that I have now, basically, which is I really like helping people kind of figure out how to get those first steps into being healthier and being stronger. And that has a lot to do with helping them figure out like what strategies will work well for them in their life and their in, in relation to their individual needs. So after I lost a hundred pounds, I kind of went through a typical evolution for a, I would say a nineties kid back then. And in the early 2000s, I tried out different types of working out and I tried out different types of nutrition and I learned a lot along the way. And then I got a couple degrees basically to help me cement that and to feel like I knew what I was doing. But then I went out into the field and learned that I needed to learn a lot more basically and I'm always up to learning new things, but I feel like I've got a pretty good handle on what I'm working with now. And and that's really just like a behavior-based approach and an individual-based approach to strength training and nutrition coaching and behavior change overall, habit coaching, basically. Love it. Because that's what works, right? Is there's so many cookie cutter, you know, quick fit, fix, just nothing kind of rooted in science. Mm-hmm. Uh, type things out there and everyone is so individual everyone you know you need custom approaches person to person and focusing on the behavior change aspect of things that's really what we you know we're we both like lit up when we connected over that in person is like oh my gosh you know you get it like Mm -hmm. that's what matters when it comes to transforming someone's life helping them transform you know not just for eight weeks and then they fall back and, you know, fall back into old habits and go back to who they were, but really changing, you know, their lifestyle and who they are as a person so that they're able to keep results, you know, in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of the fitness world and people see this, you know, but it touches on some kind of innate instinct a lot of times, it's, but it's very superficial. You know, a lot of the marketing and a lot of the the way people get into like a fitness routine, you know, right? or or a new way of eating, basically, you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of bells and whistles, you know, and and I get it, like in terms of how that's attractive to people, you know, and sometimes it does come with sustainable 
I guess, procedures and strategies, but a lot of times it doesn't. And so I really like to kind of make sure that when I'm talking to people, we're not just talking about that, that superficial, like first layer. I even sometimes for a long time, actually, I didn't even tell people I lost a hundred pounds, honestly, because I'm not, I'm not really all about that so much, you know, but I do start with that because a lot of times that's what, you know, like hooks people in. It's, it's the hook, you know, but it's really about like half a pound to two pounds a week. And even more so, it's really about like body fat and overall health and well-being and like how people actually feel when they're when they're making these changes in in their life, you know, and it's not always going to be easy and it's not always going to be smooth sailing. And that's also like another thing you don't hear that much, you know, it's going to be a good bit of hard work and it's going to be a learning curve a lot of times, you know, if you're really actually learning something rarely do you ever like just shoot straight up you know even even like newbies in the gym when you get to at least like quote unquote newbie strength games rarely do you ever like really shoot straight up like you're gonna get feel like you're getting good at something and then that soreness is going to be ridiculous at first for a lot of people you know and they're gonna be like what the hell's wrong with me so yeah yeah like there will be challenges along the way and like expect that like that's mm-hmm. You know, this stuff is hard and and what we're talking about, it, it doesn't sound sexy. It doesn't sound like, oh, yeah, get these quick results and, you know, kind of like how a lot of things in the industry, you know, tend to come across. But this is like the stuff that works. Right. And it's, I would say it's an indicator of that you're on the right path. Yeah. Honestly, a lot of times, you know, and then there's this balance that I think it's really useful to have a coach for where. You, you want to have just the right amount of stimulus, you know, where it is hard, but it's not too hard. And you are recovering in a time frame that is actually sustainable as well, you know, and a good coach can kind of help you with that and figure out what that looks like for you. And then, and then you can just rinse and repeat. And it does get easier pretty quickly after that, you know, but you're going to, you're going to have to go through that learning curve a lot of times and knowing knowing what a good learning curve will look like for you and how to adjust when, when life gets crazy as it always does is really useful. Yeah. For the listeners that don't know what you mean by stimulus uh, Mm -hmm. on the body, can you expand on that? Yeah, sure. So an example would be something like I'll do an assessment a lot of times with clients at the beginning who are working to start like strength training program. And A lot of times that assessment is really simple. Like it's just things like reaching behind your back, trying to see if you can like touch your hands together, you know, something like that. Or we'll do a, we'll work on a squat position where we'll see like what your depth looks like in your squat position. And we'll do some like little adjustments. For example, like we'll play around with somebody's ankle position when they're squatting or their foot position when they're squatting. And we're not doing it to fatigue. We're not doing it... To make it hard, we're doing like a couple reps. And most of the time people are like, oh, that's it. That's all we're doing today. And I'm like, yeah, just wait for a little bit and I'll contact you later and I'll see how you feel. And people will be surprised just by getting into a new range, you know, or or in the case of like a stimulus, that new range is that stimulus a lot of times, you know, but doing something just a little bit different than what you have been doing can stimulate what we're looking for, which is a lot of times like micro tears in the muscle, 
you know, and in the fascia and in the, in the joint capsules. We're actually looking to kind of break things down just a little bit, you know, so your body can build back stronger. And that is very surprising to a lot of people when you do so little that you still feel like soreness, for example, from even though you wouldn't think you would. And that's that has a lot to do with just having a stimulus that is different than what you've been doing. Yeah, it's like doing like, I can't remember the exact saying, but doing the least amount of work to produce the most amount of change. Yeah, like the minimal effective dose. Yes, that's what it yeah. is. Yeah, exactly. And there's a, a lot of times we see it overdone. You know, we, mm-hmm. we start to push too hard, too fast when it comes to training or we're pushing too hard into a calorie deficit. And then what this does is it creates a lot of stress in the body. And then, you know, we're not able to progress it the way that we want to, you know, hormones start getting affected, mm-hmm. et cetera. So we really want to make sure that, you know, we kind of, as coaches, we're always meeting people where they're at, mm-hmm. you know, taking them, taking them from there at the rate that they're going to be able to progress. Right. And a lot of times it's a lot less than people think, especially when you when you do a good assessment, for example, and you're able to kind of pinpoint where those where those spots are in their in their habits or their routines, for example. And it's a balancing act with that, too, because depending on the person, I would say, like some people like to have a lot more challenge, you know, and that motivates them, you know, so you got to kind of balance that out, you know. And then some people, like you give them a little bit of challenge and they're just going to like fold because they just, they're just they just used to getting bludgeoned basically when you c- come up to them. And it's like one more bludgeon is not going to be very useful. So you kind of got to give them a little bit more wins, you know? And, I, and I, I like that as a coach though. I like figuring that out with people. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Some people, they do well with a bit more. They really, they're like, all right, I'm ready to go. Like, let's do it. And it's like, okay. We have that conversation with, hey, we don't want to try and overdo it and overhaul everything. You know, let's kind of focus here and but but kind of still giving them enough so that they can feel like, you know, I'm doing something. Yeah. Right. But yeah. I like to do I like to do kind of mini personality assessments with people, honestly. I don't know if we talked about that on our walk at all. But do you have them take tests or kind of what does that look like? So part of our our general initial health assessment. We'll ask a couple of questions that gives us a good idea, I would say. And then as I get to know people, sometimes I might like point them towards a test or two. Yeah, it depends on the person. It depends on how much I can kind of figure out from from our initial assessment and then talking with them and meeting with them, I would say. But yeah, I kind of do have a bit of a process. And then after I figure that out, I, I have like different buckets. I think of it like in my brain that I kind of shift people towards as as I communicate more with them but I think that helps a lot because people even though we speak like English for example you know a lot of people have a different way a different language a different mode of of like change communication you know and that's a little bit what my master's was in too so I'm I'm kind of geeky about that kind of stuff I I kind of don't let go of that stuff very <laughs> That's that's a whole another like podcast we could dive into. Right? Like, yeah. All yeah. That stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. I love it. But so to kind of shift into our topic for I'd love to hear about for you specifically on your journey, what have been the biggest first off like mindset shifts that you've made that have helped you 
you know, sustain your progress and this new lifestyle that you've created for yourself. And then we can talk about habits that have been key in that as well. And we can kind of dive into that. Sorry, my cat wasn't yelling. Did you hear her? <laughs> no. No? Okay, sweet. So the first question was how I got how I got into this. Kind of along your journey, what has been the most impactful mindset shifts that you've had to make mm. to, you know, sustain these changes or, or kind of implement this new lifestyle? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then we can dive into the habits that have been most impactful and in, you know, your journey. And then we okay. can dive into that. Yeah. So I would say a big, a big part of my philosophy that I've, that I've, developed over time has been very strongly centered on tiny habits. Do you know BJ Fogg? You heard mm-hmm. of BJ Fogg? Okay. BJ Fogg, I'm like a fanboy of BJ Fogg. And I wish he was more popular because I think he's amazing, basically. Have you heard of James Clear? Yeah. Atomic okay. Habits. So James Clear Atomic Habits, I would say he's probably the most popular kind of disciple of BJ Fogg. I would say, and I don't know if he would actually call himself that or not, but BJ Fogg is like the tiny habit godfather, in my opinion. And I stumbled onto onto him a while back, and it was so satisfying to actually hear what he had to say about behavior change, because when I was losing weight, at first I was falling into all the pitfalls that people typically fall into. Like I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was losing it fast enough. I didn't feel like I was keeping my muscle, you know, because I was used to doing sports when I was younger, basically. And and really just seeing like the, I still can't put my finger on it exactly, but like the, the tenant or like the pillars of good behavior change really cemented that I was like on the right track, basically. And so... I looked into BJ Fogg and I also looked into this a little known, I get, and I think it's still a research project that's going on right now. It's called the National Weight Control Registry, where they just ask people to register with them if they've lost a certain amount of weight and kept it off for a certain amount of years. And then every once in a while, they'll ask them a survey of questions like about their behavior, basically. And then they'll, sh- and then they'll use that data for future research, but also to come out with like, actual insights into what are some behavior change strategies that that stand the test of time you know and uh, one of them was like losing a half a pound to two pounds per week you know versus more than that over a long period of time that tends to be a much more accurate predictor predictor of long-term weight loss and keeping it off for example or people who worked out for short periods of time at the beginning stages were a lot more successful than people who worked out for long periods of time at the beginning stages, which you would think like the people who go hard and go off and would, and you see the results with would be the ones who are like, quote unquote, the most successful. But after about two years time, not the case, you know, and that really motivated me because I have a lot of people in my family and I still do to this day because it's, it's kind of harder. I know it's harder just because the stranger bias to actually change the behavior of people you know the most, for example. But I was surrounded even more so back then by people who had the list of metabolic diseases, basically like go down the list, 
all of them, hypertension, cholesterol, diabetes, type one, type two, morbid, morbidly obese, osteoarthritis, like fibromyalgia, colon, stomach cancer, heart disease, like you name it. My family had slash has it, you know, and I did not want to be in that world at all, you know, and so a lot of what I started doing at the beginning was just kind of doing the opposite of what I saw around me. And there's this quote, I, d- I used to have it in my office and don't have it right now, but it basically says, sometimes you can learn a lot by going in the opposite direction of the, the quote unquote bad things that are, ha- that are around you. You know, you don't even need to know what the right thing is. But like just going in the other direction can teach you a lot about like what's the right thing to do for you, you know, and people have this innate compass. I think if they just listen to themselves a little bit more about what those things are. And I was lucky enough to just, I guess I was kind of like the tipping point in my own family, you know, where I just, I was just surrounded by it so much where it was just like, oh my goodness, I need to not do these other things that I see everybody else doing around me, you know, and then I found some really good resources like BJ Fogg and the National Weight Control Registry that that supported that. And then I was like, all right, that's what I'm doing. I'm not going to do what's popular with my family and I'm not going to do what's popular in like the the Internet world and and whatnot. I'm just going to do what feels right to me, you know, and what these resources who seem to have a lot of credentials behind them are are saying you should do. So that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of the going other, the other direction thing. I have done that a good bit myself and I have seen the benefit of kind of going against, you know, the great going against the norm in some different things. And yeah, I think that that's so powerful, you know, just that reminder to tune into yourself and and listen to yourself and what feels best and you think is going to be best for you rather than kind of, you know, just kind of going along with what everyone else around you is doing. Right. Especially if they're not where you want to be. And it can be hard to, like, let go sometimes of that environment that you've been in for so long. and kind It's of hard like, when you don't get the social support, you know, yeah. and you got to kind of do it on your own. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you have to find kind of that new, you know, tribe of people who are working on similar things you are and kind of trying mm-hmm. to embody this similar lifestyle, like whatever, even if it's, you know, maybe it's not health and fitness related, maybe it's like career related, you know? Yeah. Any change, any change you're trying to make, I, I totally agree with that. Like you really need to have a tribe around you. That's why we're doing this podcast, for example. Yeah. You know, but you gotta, you gotta have people around you who are similar to you in terms of like your values and your principles. Yeah, and, and this you, comes you into don't have that. You gotta you gotta search for it because it's re- it's really important. Yeah, because we could we could dive into how you know this is so important when it comes to shifting your identity. Mm-hmm. Like that is, I think, a really important, very incredibly important piece to any sort of huge life transformation you're trying to make is like looking at what what do you believe your identity is and. Sometimes shifting things in your external can really help you with that identity shift into becoming the person that you want to be. Right. Right. Yeah. So just piggybacking on that a little bit, when you're, when you're trying to shift kind of how you think about yourself and how you do things, I really do think your environment 
Well, have you ever? So this is the, uh, this is the geek in me again. So there's this thing called Lewin's equation. I don't know if you've heard Lewin's equation, but it says a behavior. It's B equals S P E basically. So behavior is a function of the person and the environment, which is kind of like nature nurture. You hear a lot, right? But the point is that knowing yourself really well is, is kind of like step one, I feel like, you know, and then knowing your environment really well and how that affects you is step two, I would say. And, and that's how you affect your behavior basically, because that's also what reinforces your behavior is your own innate personality. And there's some things that are really innate with people. You know, I really like the big five personality test. That's a really useful one. That's probably the most researched one. There's other things too, though, like some people find the Myers-Briggs to be useful. Some people find the Enneagram to be useful, for example. And a lot of it, I think of it like, like adjectives basically that you can, that you can identify with, you know, like finding the right words to describe yourself is part of knowing yourself, I would say. So find, find what those words are, you know, and see if they, if they, if they correlate, you know, if they jive with how you feel about yourself and be a little wary of the very general ones, you know, I'm not big, very, I'm spital like astrology very much, honestly. A little too general for me. I mean, there's some things. There's uh, there's definitely like factors in terms of the time of the year you were born and where you're born that will affect behavior, actually. And it's been shown in a lot of research to do that. So um, especially when it comes to like sports proficiency, you can find a lot of research on that. Like Wayne Gretzky was born at the right time to get into those those hockey camps and whatnot. And to be at the age where he's going to be a little bit at the older of his age group, basically all the time in those hockey camps, he's going to get positively reinforced for that as well. And those kind of things show up, you know, but knowing yourself and then your environment is, is extremely, extremely, like I, I lean a little bit more towards your environment being more important to your overall behavior than even your personality, honestly. Because probably because I don't think our environment nowadays is very health oriented, you know, I really don't think a lot of, at least in, at least where we live on the East coast of the United States, you know, and I, you could probably generalize to the whole United States for that most of the Western world for that matter, not very conducive to making healthy long-term behavior decisions, you know? And so you're probably going to have to make a lot of changes in your environment to help your personality go in the right direction with your behavior. Yeah. What are some specifics, if any, like top ones come to mind that you've seen be really helpful with clients or yourself when it comes to shifting your environment? Yeah. So when you take tiny steps, it makes it a lot easier to shift your environment because you don't have to, you don't have to like move out of where you live, you know, and completely change everything all at once, you know, but what you can do is you can figure out, okay, what are the things that I'm currently doing or what are the parts of my environment that I'm already interacting with, for example, and I, I kind of call these like behavior sandwiches, 
basically. So like, what are, what are some, what are some behaviors or parts of my environment that I'm interacting with, you know, in a sequence, for example, like an example would be a morning coffee, you know, and you have that coffee right there in the morning and you don't have your morning coffee. A lot of times people who love morning coffee do not have their coffee machine in the closet, you know, where they have to like take it out of that closet and then they have to plug it in and they have to set it up. Okay. People who really like to have coffee in the morning, yeah, that is front and center on the counter. You know, it's like one of the first things you see, you know, sometimes people have like the Mr. Coffee that's on a timer, you know, it's already set up to start at the time that they usually wake up, you know, and that's an example of your environment like cueing you into a behavior because of, of where it is and how it's set up, you know, and you can basically, you can, you can, you can put things in between like that coffee habit, you know, and a lot of times it's the bathroom after the coffee habit, for example. So like, what are you doing in between the coffee and the bathroom? You know, can you put something in there that's going to cue you into a behavior that you want to do? And can it be something, and it probably needs, 99% of the time, it needs to be something small, you know, that that is obvious and that's attractive to you, you know, that you want, that you really do want to do, that you're not like forcing yourself into, you know. And if you can make that more emotionally tied, that's kind of where it goes back into knowing yourself a little bit better, you know, like what's going to, what's going to light you up, you know, what's going to like really make you want to do it and then yeah and then you're off to the races basically yeah. you know yeah my brain went to the attractive and obvious the james clear right fundamentals for right. building a new habit it's yeah attractive and obvious mm -hmm. right? like habit stacking that's a that's one that's been really helpful for me right build with habit stacking that's right yeah. yeah yeah and with this it has to be something that like you said is important to you it's kind mm -hmm. of an emotional tie-in. It's attractive and it's obvious. So for mm -hmm. me, something I've implemented recently, I, t I touched on this on a previous podcast, but has been a daily breathwork session with this like app I have. It's like a one or two minute breathwork Perfect. session. Yeah. One or two minutes is great. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it can really make a big difference. And so what I've done is every time I open my computer, the first thing kind of on my list that I do on my calendars, I have a little check off that says check bank accounts. And so I, I do all that. And then with that is my breath work. So, you know, before that, or, or with that, I mean, after that, I will do my breath work session. And that has been working really well for me. And I've haven't missed a day in weeks. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, exactly. And like things will come up and your schedule will change, you know, but for the most part, if it's something that you've been doing really often, you know, and for, for a long time, it's going to be pretty easier than you think, you know, as long as you kind of keep to those general rules, you know, of, of good behavior change. Yeah. And, you know, I said, I haven't missed a day in weeks, but building a habit, it doesn't have to be, you know, an every single day type of thing. Like you said, it's okay to, you know, maybe you miss a day or maybe your, you know, your routine is way different than normal or you're traveling or whatever. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. And so it's all about, I think, not beating yourself up for that and recognizing that that's okay and that, you know, you're not a failure and that you can get back to your habit, uh, yep. you know, tomorrow. Yep. Yeah. And, and 
having that positive self-talk, you know, is really useful. That's kind of like the, the background that I think coaches can really help out with, you know, because a lot of times people will kind of get down on themselves, you know, once they, once they mess things up and it, it's, it's hard as a coach, honestly, to convince people to do things really small a lot of times. So sometimes I actually have to let them fail a little bit at the beginning to, and, 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 and not make it feel like such a failure. Just use it as a, as a learning time, you know, and, and that's what m- most failures really are. You know, it's, it's not exactly that you're failing as much as that you're learning, you know, and it really helps to remember that a lot of times, even as a coach, like I fail all the time, but that's, be- that's how I learn basically. And if I didn't fail, I wouldn't learn. Yep. Yeah. Failure is, is key for, for growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, school doesn't teach us that failing yeah. is good. Yeah. But kind of as I've gotten into, um, you know, just like business and real life and everything, I recognizing how, you know, it's okay to fail and, and it teaches you more than, you know, a lot of things will. Said you got into jiu and this is going to be a little side, but you got into jujitsu recently, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I love martial arts and grappling sports and whatnot. And I was, I was like captain of the wrestling team. I did a little wrestling in college and whatnot too. And like, you fail so much, basically, <laughs> you know, so much then that I feel like it, it really actually helped me. And I say this all the time because uh, there's that, there's, there's an actual statistic of like, I think the president's council on exercise that talks about kids who are saved by sports, you know? And I really think I, I was in some part saved by sports, honestly, because one of the reasons I started losing that weight is because I couldn't make the weight limit for heavyweight in high school. Uh, and I was supposed to be like the captain of my football, of my wrestling team and my football team. But the wrestling team had the weight limit, the football team didn't, you know? Mm-hmm. And wrestling taught me how to fail and, and how to fail well in a way that I learned, you know, and then, and then at some point it just became something where I was like, oh man, I can't wait to fail today. You know, like you get excited about it and then it just, you do it enough times and it just becomes a part of you, you know, where you, where you seek it out, you know, and you learn, you learn how to fail in the right way, I guess too, you know, like in wrestling, they have mats, you know, that are soft. You're not failing on concrete, you know, you're failing on a soft mat. And that's, that's a metaphor, I would say for a lot, a good metaphor for a lot of people, you know, and put yourself in an environment where you can fail, you know, and that usually means it needs to be small, tiny behaviors and habits and experiments, self-experimentation. Yeah. Yeah. The failure piece along my own health and fitness journey, it felt like I was continually finding myself like failing, right? Like I fell into that yo-yo dieting type of cycle over and over. And just when I thought, oh yes, like this, I I finally like figured it out. I'm like, nope, I actually didn't. And I have a new challenge now. And so if I had let these failures like mean something about me or about my, you know, ability to actually make the changes that I wanted to make, I would have never, you know, kept trying. I would have never, you know, gotten to where I wanted to be because I would have let that stop me because I would have made that mean something, right? So you kind of have to be okay with with failing and and with facing, you know, challenges and and 
know that it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah. Like it doesn't define you. You know, if anything, what defines you is how you get up, how you recuperate from those failures. You know, and then it goes back to knowing yourself well enough, honestly. And that takes time, you know, and the younger you are, the more time it's going to take, honestly. And that's normal as well, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, that's like the good and bad kind of our current generation, because there's so much information out there, you know, that you can find a lot of good resources, but you can also find a lot of bad resources, you know, and, and. Luckily, I think when you grow up in this, I think you learn how to sift through information a little bit more, you know, versus like our parents' generation, like they're more likely to get taken advantage of, I would say, in in a lot of situations, supplements being a big one I see a lot of times, honestly. But I think just remembering that like, this is kind of like a human thing, you know, like just in general, like you're going to go through times where it's a lot of it's a lot of throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks you know and then and then eventually you get you get better at figuring out what sticks and why you know as long as you stay curious i would say and and that's kind of like a principle i try to inject a lot of times into into my clientele just just be curious about stuff you know like one of the reasons humans have gotten to where we have on the evolutionary ladder is because we're so curious, you know? And so nurture that, you know, like be, be a good self-experimenter with yourself. I talk about self-experimentation a lot, basically. And I think that's really useful in a lot of cases because when you do that, you, you build. And one of the things we're going to talk about is, is keystone habits, basically. You know, you build habits that, don't just, sometimes people call them meta habits. Meta is probably like the, the cool term to use nowadays, basically. But they're, they're habits that make the rest of your habits better, basically, you know? And they're things that like, you do this and not only do you get the benefits of doing that one thing, but you get the benefits of all the other things that that enables you to be better with in the first place, you know? And I think that's really useful for a lot of people. Yeah, like that domino, that domino yeah, yeah. habit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you had to pick one, what would be like your top domino habit that you think makes the most impact? I know that's a hard question that might not be able to be answered. You know what? It's hard to choose. It's funny because I'm some of them I'm still not completely great at. But when I know when I do it, it helps a lot. And I would say the ones that I'm still kind of doing even right now how to which one should i say i'll say a couple of them probably but drinking plenty of water is a big one it's kind of like a dull one you know like drinking water is a big one why yeah. is drinking water important i think that that's not often like talked about and no it's just that's... so so powerful and and beneficial even though it sounds so simple right you can, like drop the ball on it oh my goodness so like there's so many times when I'm talking to people about their nutrition habits. Cheers, by the way. <laughs> I talk to people about their nutrition habits. And a lot of times I'm realizing as we're talking about it, like, oh, they're very likely going throughout the day in a dehydrated state, 
which is affecting their ability to manage their satiety. You know, because a lot of times the signals that your body is sending you about food is can be very mixed up with the signals that your body is sending you about water, you know, and your hydration level, for example. And just the simple act of having more water. And you hear this all the time as people just making sure that you're well hydrated. No, because I have had people who are too hydrated where like a good example is like looking at your actual pee you know, and seeing the color and noticing like when it's like super clear really often, then you're all probably too hydrated. But rarely is that the case. Most of the time we got like the super yellow kind of pee and it's pretty often. And then we're talking later in the day about how much, how hard it is to reduce their sugar cravings, you know? And like a lot of times we get that water better and their sugar cravings are cut in half, if not more, basically. And then Maybe they're not, they don't have that much energy for their workouts later in the day because they're not getting enough water, for example. Or they're waking up in the middle of the night to go pee because they haven't drank enough water earlier in the day. So they end up chugging a whole bunch of water at the end of the day after they've had their big meal because they need water to digest that food in their meal. And then they're waking up in the middle of the night and then they don't have enough energy for the next day. And it all could have been worked out if they just managed their water intake a little bit better. Yep. Yeah. So what, what's your like top advice for getting in more water? I know I have mine, which is a straw. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And simply, simply having it with you. That is really the key in my opinion is Mm -hmm. you have to just have it with you. If you don't have it with you, you're not going to drink it. If it's by your side, you know, you're going to be able to get it in. So even getting a bigger water glass, I just answered the question I asked no, I'm passionate about this topic. I like those a lot. So so the environment, like we were talking about earlier, having it with you is a big part. And some a lot of times I find that with people, they get like the one water bottle to rule them all. And they and then they like misplace that one water bottle, you know? But like I really like having multiple water bottles in multiple places and multiple cups. And like, for example, I love having things that are like unique to you. You know, and like get they they go back to that attractiveness, you know, and that emotional tie. Like I have this giant stein here. Okay. And it's like the endangered species Budweiser stein that I got from a giant yard sale. And I think it's awesome. And I don't I rarely ever put alcohol in this. It's more most of the time water, for example. But I have this on my desk. I have a big water bottle up in the kitchen. I have a water bottle in my bedroom next to my bed. I have, I have a water bottle in the car. I have, you know, I have them like strategically <laughs> placed throughout my That's environment. That's hilarious. I've never heard that. Just placing them everywhere. Yeah. That's awesome. That. And you can do that with exercise too. You know, you can do that. I have like kettlebells and clubs strategically placed. Like people will come to my house. They're going to think I'm a little crazy. Aren't you know, because I have like things that look like weapons all around the house, you know, and like kettlebells with like chip, chimps angrily staring I've seen those yeah (laughs) yeah you know but like that's that's how I roll because it's important you know so you just randomly like throughout the day kind of get a little bit of work in yeah I'm all about like movement snacks honestly that's that's a big one for me yeah especially especially because I have two young children right now and my time and my energy is very often siphoned off doing things to help them and and sleep and 
all the typical things that happen with young children, basically. Yeah. So yeah, it's even more important now. And it's it's even more reinforced, honestly, now. And I was doing it beforehand, but like now I'm like, I'm super crazy about it, honestly. Yeah, in a good way. The good kind of crazy. Yeah. When it comes to sleep with two young kids, do you have any like advice or insight there? Or is it just kind of like it's an acceptance type thing? Well, I mean, uh, kids are kids are. They're such a random bag, you know, when you get when you get kids and even young, you start seeing like personality from them that you may not like know where the hell it's coming from, you know, for example. And, and it, it could just be just genetically imposed on them from an early age. It's hard. It's really hard to tell. You know, a lot of personality science really doesn't like to categorize people into certain trait tendencies until they're like seven or eight or even so it's really hard to really pinpoint you know how they're going to react to things and then the fact that they're changing constantly you know especially the younger they are the more often they're changing constantly so like good luck trying to predict their behavior like a few months from now when they're only a few months old you know so sleep wise like best advice i could give i would say is to be ready to roll with the punches as much as possible, you know, get, get naps when you can, you know, you do have, you still do have to set aside time for yourself as much as you can, you know, and sometimes that means just like five minutes, like, or two minutes, like breath work, for example, you know, because a lot of times when you're deprived of sleep, the thing that really messes with people the most, I think, is their ability to make good decisions, you know, and smart decisions. And so, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that your nervous system is just like all over the place, you know, and re and you're in a very reactive mode, basically. So there's a couple of different techniques you can do to kind of get yourself out of reactive mode and get yourself more into a thinking mode, you know. And they don't take long. They take like a minute or two, you know, and if you're feeling really luxurious and you can set aside five to 10 minutes, that's even better. You know, movement really does help even when you're tired, you know, and even more so like mobility work and stretching and restorative type work, like active, what people would call like active recovery in the sports performance world. Those are really, really, really useful, you know, so it's not that uh, you can't do things. It's just that you may have to approach your health habits in a different way, basically. And that's okay. You're in a different phase of your life and things change. And, and five or six years, when they're five or six years old, you're going to be in another different phase, you know? So you got you to gotta roll with the punches and you're going to have to change some things. And that change is going to be hard because you're learning back to what we were talking about earlier, you know, and that's normal too, but it's, it's natural. It's normal, you know, and you're not alone. Find other people, for example, like we were talking about, who are going through it with you. It's been really useful to have other parents that are going through it and going through that same phase. And sometimes I don't hang out with people who aren't parents as much anymore. And, and I miss that, but that's, I also like, I need that other tribe right now. more. So yeah. You got to do what you got to do. Love it. Cool. So Keystone Habits, for me, I mean, they're all so 
you know, I, I have kind of some of the basics, all the basics written out here. But for me, biggest thing recently has been the morning steps. That's a mm-hmm. habit that early on in my journey, every day, I would get outside and get movement in and kind of for a good while was dropping the ball with that and, you know, just kind of catching up later in the day. And I Like going noticed, for a walk, you mean? Yeah. Okay. And I've noticed the impact that it makes for me when in in so many aspects is I'm able to sleep better. I'm also ahead on my step goal for the day. So I'm I'm really not as, you know, stressed out at the end of the day trying to like squeeze it in. Mm-hmm. And I, I just feel better. Mentally, I'm clearer. I I'm more productive in work. I, I feel good energetically. And and so that's kind of been a big one for me recently that I'm noticing that I want to, you know, continue to really focus on is is even if I can only get outside for like five minutes and go around the block. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard when it's cold, you know, like it's. Yeah. And outdoors looks like an outdoors walk like that. Talk about like habit stacking. That's a big one, you know, because a lot of health benefits happen from just getting outside, you know, and you don't have to walk a lot to get the benefits of being outside, you know, like your circadian rhythm gets more finely attuned, get some vitamin D. You don't need a lot of sunlight to get vitamin D, especially as pale as I am. And there's, there's just a lot of like additions that you can get from that. So I think that's a great keystone. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're one to two minute. Like, what do you think? Do you feel, do you feel a lot of benefits from that one to two minute breath work early? You know, like what, what would happen if you weren't doing that, for example? For a while, I was starting my workday feeling anxious, feeling stressed out and overwhelmed, right? I have all the all the things, all the messages, all of the just different tasks that I want to get done and kind of just, you know, scattered. And there's been strategies I've implemented with blocking different things and and shifting around my schedule, which have been very helpful. But the breath work has been great for me to dive into my workday, getting myself in a calm state and not just being like, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, trying to do all the things at once and I'm like a chicken with my head cut off and then I end up not being really productive and then, you know, just more stressed out from that. Right. Like, so that has been something that's definitely, definitely been helpful there along with, you know, batching, batching different work and kind of shifting some things. Yeah. So it sets you up for the rest of the day. Yeah. And morning habits, especially, I would say when it comes to like health and well-being, this could be a little bit biased because I'm, I'm more of a morning person, honestly. And I've, I can't remember, like, as long as I can remember, I've been a morning person, you know? So I, I have a hard time relating a little bit more to people who stay up late, honestly, because the other thing is I've seen a lot of people who say they're night owls and then they get healthier and they stop being night owls as much, you know? So I'm always a little skeptic, I would say at first. And people tell me they're a night owl. I'm like, are you really... Or are you just like in uh you got a whole bunch of routines and things in your environment that are supporting that night outness, you know? And like some people definitely go, do you know Math- Matthew Walker? Yes. Okay. So Matthew Walker talks about this a good bit. You know, like there's still a certain amount of requirements that you need when it comes to your sleep that you're not going to get if you're if you're not going to sleep by a certain time and you're not waking up by a certain time. When it comes to the relation to your sleep and and the, the phases of light, you know, 
that you experience basically throughout. But I can go really far with that and I'll, I'll stop there. Sleep could be a whole nother podcast. Another Keystone Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A whole nother podcast we could talk about. The, yeah. The benefits oh, of sleep. It's oh, my like, goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I, I almost want to do a podcast sometimes on like the most obvious things you can do for your health. You know, drink more water, sleep better, get outside, move, move often. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like this stuff is often simple, but not easy oh yeah yeah the most simple things are most uh easy things you know Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so another kind of key key habit has been steps is something that is huge when it comes to especially fat loss transformation but just your overall health is moving during the day it's often that you know people will sit all day and then they'll get a workout in and that's great. That's better than not. But moving throughout the day can have such an impact on your, you know, your metabolism, all the things. So with steps, what has been kind of what are your insights for helping get in a little bit more movement? Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm a probably like a closet ADHD nerd, honestly, <laughs> and a fidgeter at heart. Like, I don't know if you can hear it right now, but I have my little fidget spinner like going every once in a while. And I have a whole bunch of things I fidget with basically pretty often. And if you're, I don't know, do you, do you usually show the video? So you show the video sometimes on like clips and whatnot, but you may notice that like, I'll be changing my angle, my video kind of often. Cause I'll be going from like sitting to standing and all that. And that's one part because of who I am. Like I'm I'm a bit of a fidgeter and I can't stop moving. And if I stop moving, like bad things happen, basically. (laughs) Long story short, you know, I've, I've done it for so long that the opposite is, is almost reinforced with me, which is funny because when I was heavier, that was not the case, you know, but now it's, it's become like who I am as a person a lot of times, but there's so many things that reinforce us, like I was saying earlier, to not move, you know, that you almost have to build it into your environment to be reminded to move, I would say. And there, and like even fidgeting itself, I feel like has a negative connotation to it a lot of times. And moving often has a bit of a negative connotation to it. You know, like if you're in a typical work environment and you're getting up and down, you know, often from your seat, or you're one of those people who's playing with the fidget spinner, you know, while a, while a conference is going on or something like that, or somebody doing a presentation, you know, or if you're or if you're like moving your legs or moving your calves at all or twitching with your feet or doing, I'd like to do like ankle circles with my feet when I'm sitting down for long periods of time. You're going to be noticed as someone who maybe is not being professional, you know. And I think that's stupid. <laughs> Big <laughs> sigh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But, but it's actually extremely useful for your overall health to just move in different ways. You know, and there's some studies that have come out just talking about like the typical like calf raise 
seated calf raise type fidgeting, for example, where people just like move their foot up, like flex their ankles up and down and push through their calf and just sit down and like move their legs and how much moving just, what is it like? 3% of your body basically can boost your metabolism by like 15 to 20%, just that one little part of your body. And the theory is that it's largely in part the, that that part of the area of your body probably had some neurologic connection to your overall health because of the fact that we are a nomadic upright bipedal species you know like think about think about other species on the planet okay that walk like us okay as their main form of locomotion like can you think of any no the best answers i get are like penguins and kangaroos yeah and i would argue penguins don't walk like us more do kangaroos and we're hop and waddle basically you know and penguin's main form of locomotion is really not walking. It's really swimming, you know, and kangaroos are hopping. Like I said, you know, but like ostriches, maybe, maybe ostriches, but like ostriches don't have the same leg structures off. Like their knees are concave, you know, their knees are in a completely different direction and they're more like galloping. I like, love your passion about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it's, but like, if you think, if you think about it, like really, truly, like we are super unique in that fashion, you know? So like, if we're super unique in that fashion, like how many millions of years, okay, made that possible, you know? And all of a sudden now we don't need it, you know? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I think we, I think our bodies are extremely, extremely tuned to that. You know, and when we don't listen to our bodies because we've been taught not to for so long, for most of our lives and by our culture and our environment to do so, that we actually get a lot of negative health effects from it. Yeah. Yeah. We're made to move. We're, we're so like, and then you could go into the fact, like how much variety of movement does the human body have, you know, compared to other species? Like how many different like modes of movement can we actually do pretty damn well versus other species and how much other species specialize, you know, we're, we're a pretty amazing movers, you know, and some people would argue there's a great Ted talk about it, that that's one of the reasons why our brain is as big as it is in comparison to the rest of our body, because of all the different movement requirements that we have for survival. The only other animals that have as many movement abilities and variety as us are things like dolphins and orcas for example because they have all the different ways they can move in the water you know and they're mammalian so they also have to like care for their young and that's a whole different type of movement for example you know but yeah you can make a large argument that our brains are the way they are because of our brains i mean because of our movement abilities and capabilities so if you're not moving you're losing a lot of that that brain ability that you would have. And that's why people with Alzheimer's and all these other brain diseases see a giant benefit when they actually just get some improved movement capabilities. Have yeah. I haven't sold you on it yet? <laughs> you know, I am super passionate about it because I think it's really important. I think it's a lot more important than people actually would like to admit. Yeah. Yeah. Walking more. I'd I'd rather 
clients start with walking more than, you know, adding in a cardio session. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, walking. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's our, like, that's our number one, I would say, adaptation, you know, that's a, that's like up there. Yeah. It's hard for me to think of anything that competes with walking. Yep. So, so powerful. And there's technique in walking too, by the way, like being a good walker can really improving your walking technique can really improve a lot of other areas of your, of your movement as well. I'd love for you to expand on that and then we can get into kind of a little bit about mobility. Yeah. So, so if you want to like Google it, the best way to Google it would actually to be looking to like gait patterns, basically, and gait, gait function, because that's where a lot of the literature is in, basically. And I would definitely suggest people go down those rabbit holes because there's a lot of research on, on gait because mainly when, when gait goes wrong, you have a lot of other issues. So when you reverse engineer it and you get that gate right, you have a lot of benefits, basically. And we have different phases that we that we go through in our walking pattern, in our gate pattern. And you can get a you can get a gate analysis. I'm really not a big fan of the gate analysis at a lot of these shoe stores, though. Honestly, that's kind of where it, you see it the most often. And and because the motives are just not in the right place. Honestly, the motives a lot of times in the gate analysis that you get at these shoe stores are there to recommend a product to you afterwards. And maybe it's because they think that product is going to help you, you know, but a lot of times what that product does is just give you a different kind of cast to walk in, you know, versus actually solving the problem. And while that cast may actually alleviate some issues, it's just pushing the, the boulder like farther away for you to have to push later basically when you're when you're beat up more because you haven't addressed the actual issue of improving your actual gait so yeah there's there's the uh, there's different phases of your gait i would i would recommend people look into the different phases of your gait and it has to do with like the heel strike for example the landing the follow through when your foot goes back into that flick course the hip range the knee drive the head position the arm position the cross body arm position all that and it's complicated and it's complicated because millions of years of evolution have gotten us to this point and there's still actually a good amount of debate actually on what like good gait looks like at the at the higher levels i would say and what and they it goes more into like force performance like running form you know like what's good running form and how do we get good running form and athletic performance and i would say we're close enough now where it the sources are pretty good overall like you can you can argue about the minutia at the top level of it all but overall you look into getting better gait and better posture you know, and you're going to see, you're going to see some major, major improvements, like amazing improvements. You know, that's, that's also why you should walk slow too. Like don't try and cover a lot of distance, you know, be, be a very conscious walker. And uh, there's, there's like a chi walking. Have you heard of chi walking? For example, that's a great resource. I like chi walking a lot or conscious walking. What lot. have you worked on for your walking form? Oh man, I actually really try and work on my, like my shoulder posture a lot when I'm walking, you know, like trying to keep those shoulders down and back, you know, but not forcing it in basically. It's hard too, because there's so many moving parts 
Like you don't want to focus on everything, everywhere, all at once. Basically, you want to think of like just one or two things that you're going to work on that day. So I think of my shoulder posture a good bit, especially because a lot of times I'll be carrying my kids or something like that, or I'll be carrying something. The places I walk, we live on an old family farm here. So I'll walk on the farm and I'll go get mail at the end of the half mile driveway, basically. And then I'll walk with it back, you know, so having good posture while I'm carrying things is really important. And then the other thing is I wear really minimal shoes when I walk because I want to feel how my foot is going onto the ground and what that heel strike feels like. And if I'm pronating or supinating or if I'm, if I'm going on the inside of my foot or the outside of, outside of my foot, if I'm using my, my great toe, your big toe, or if I'm using more of my pinky toe or if I'm using my arch more, that kind of stuff. And that's partially because I actually, and this will go into mobility a little bit, that's because I, I've torn my Achilles twice in the past, basically one on each side to make it even. Doing stupid things, honestly. It wasn't like, wasn't very smart stuff. It was more like pushing the edge of my abilities and then pushing some more, basically, because I get competitive like that in certain situations. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your mobility story journey. So when I, when I, Ruptured my Achilles the first time I was working as a health coach in Indianapolis for WebMD. And I was really into like all the typical like American College of Sports Medicine, National Institutes of Health, American Heart Association recommendations. And like, if you listen to any of my health coaching calls at that time, there would always be like some recommendation basically like injected into like, oh, the American Heart Association says to have this much of this in every day. And the and uh, American College of Sports Medicine suggests that you do 150 minutes of total activity each day. And, you know, and it was just like by the book and like super geeky and like glasses on with the tape in the middle type of <laughs> dialogue, basically. But so I got in pretty good shape, but a lot of it was because I was just doing like the basics really well, you know. And then I thought, oh, well, like if I'm good at the basics, I'm going to try out some of these new crazy things like parkour. For example, because it looks cool, you know. Okay. <laughs> and so I thought, I assumed that because I was in a good health status that I could just jump into a very specialized field, you know, and I did it for a few days and I was fine. So then I like upped it basically. And it's when I upped it too, qu too quickly and without any real like, good educational background, you know, without actually going through any kind of learning curve, just thinking that I'm going to progress automatically with those newbie gains, you know, and that I injured myself and I tore my Achilles running across a wall, basically, and trying to do sprints, run across the wall, do sprints, run across the wall, do sprints. Yeah. Funny, funny story is I, I army crawled across the gym because it was kind of empty that day. And my wife was training somebody and I give her shit to this day about it and I was like I think I tore my Achilles <laughs> and she looks at me and she's like I'm with a client like, <laughs> and I'm like alright I'm gonna go to the urgent care <laughs> I'll you later oh my gosh yeah but she was a trooper afterwards in the recovery stage so that was one of the reasons why I actually figured out she was the person I was gonna marry because she if she could go through that she could go through anything I feel mm -hmm. like but yeah, so I tore my Achilles and I learned that 
I was actually neglecting my smaller joints and my gait pattern a lot because I was doing the typical type of workouts you see a lot of people even today do, which is, you know, like upper body day, lower body day, or like chest day or tri day, you know, like all the big muscle groups, basically, you know, and all the ones that look good in the mirror and, you know, are more for aesthetic and function really, you know? And then I realized like, oh, if I want to be like a 200 pound male with a low body fat percentage and I want to do, and I want to do athletic things like parkour, which is usually for like 150 pound males, you know, who don't really like have a whole bunch of muscle mass and who aren't like putting a whole bunch of force through those movements and actually learning how to like land properly. Then I'm going to have to learn about like the mechanics of my feet. And even more after you tear your Achilles, like, you do a lot of foot and ankle rehab work. And so I was doing that because I tore my Achilles, but then I realized that if I continued it, how much better I felt in a whole bunch of other activities. And now I'm like a small muscle joint, like advocate at this point, basically, because I got, I, I basically got to a point where I was doing even better than I was prior to it, the injury. Um, which is crazy for an Achilles rupture for a lot of people, because usually that's like a bit of a death knell for a lot of people, unless you're like a pro athlete and even pro athletes, they're in some deep doo-doo when they rupture their Achilles. So I got to a point where I was doing better. And then I got to a point where I was doing so much better and I pushed myself too hard in a dehydrated environment. And I tore my other Achilles and then I had to do a whole bunch of ankle rehab and then I continued to do a whole bunch of mobility work. And it really actually, mainly because I wasn't doing it like on the regular, that I wasn't aware of my other Achilles doing so much more work than my pre-injured one, that I realized after that, that I was like, okay, this is something I need to do on a regular basis to keep kind of tabs on how my body is doing. And that evolved into just a regular mobility routine. And now I do it. I do something pretty much every day at this point, you know, but it's, it's more built into my routine. So it's not always like a, I do my five minute routine at this time every day. It's more like I kind of like those water bottles, you know, where I have different like areas in my house and places in my house and we don't, we actually don't even have a bunch of like furniture in our house for this reason as well. So like when I get into places where I would usually like slouch or whatnot, I end up doing some mobility work because yeah, I just, it's just there. Might as well do it. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. And so that's made a big impact for you. You said you come out just even better than before with your. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of awesome. crazy. It's kind of crazy. so awesome. Yeah. So yeah. And I did that with my shoulders too. Achilles is the, is the saucier story, but I had, I had some really bad wing scapula as well, which is where your scapula or your shoulder blades have like a, you could almost put like fingers in between your shoulder blade and your spine, you know, where there's like a divot basically for a lot of people. And that is pretty common. And just learning how to mobilize that area and then strengthen that area. I, I, I never actually got my biceps to grow and like those muscles that I was trying to like make grow in the gym until I actually just 
created more space for them to grow, you know? And I think that's a big kind of aha moment for a lot of my clients. You know, when we, when we get areas to have more range and have more ability, and then all of a sudden they see improvement and growth in places that they, they thought just weren't going to change. You know, they just subsided to the fact that that wasn't going to change. Yeah. Yeah. For me, just a kind of brief story here. I have very, a very extensive story with my back injury, my, you know, upper trap issues. Mm-hmm. But so I had a degenerative or I have a degenerative disc at my L5 S1 and I had horrible pain for about a year where I could barely sit for more than, you know, 30 minutes. I couldn't stand for too long. I'd have to like, you know, oscillate between sitting and standing and I would be in the gym trying to do some stuff because this is when I was falling in love with lifting and I would end up in the locker room crying because I was so sad and frustrated and thought that, you know, this was, this was it. I I couldn't do what I loved so much. And I go to the orthopedic surgeon and, you know, we had an MRI, we found out it's my disc and she's like, Oh, just don't lift, just don't deadlift. And I was like, what? Like I, I started bawling my eyes out and I obviously did not listen to that, you know, advice. And Found a very trusted. Well, either people. stop doing the thing you really like to do, or let's just cut it off or take it out. You know, no usual recommendation. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. and the crazy thing is, like, that's what healed me. That's what I had zero back pain since 2019. I haven't had any any back pain, back flare ups, and that was through working with my physical therapist doing the mobility work, I was very aggressively learning about mobility, about how the back works. And a big thing for me was my hip flexors were incredibly tight, kind of like yeah. pulling on my low back. Because like weak, connected. You huh? You say like tight and weak? Tight. And, yeah. Tight and weak. Yeah. Hip flexors. So those actually connect up to the low spine and those are pulling on my spine. So stretching those was huge. And then hip mobility work. Wow. Huge. And my squat actually this was like the key is my squat was so uncomfortable I couldn't get depth I had such a hard time and my hip mobility was the big thing along with some ankle mobility work but mostly for me it was hips and so working on my hip range of motion was huge and my back pain is entirely gone and I've been able to get a lot stronger and I've I've pushed, you know, my my big lifts. I've just through strength training, through resistance training, I've built my body to where I feel like I have like a just like an armor where I'm not so weak and so like susceptible to pain. You know, I've just I've solidified where I've solidified like my muscle mass and that's been huge for my upper body as well. I had trap pain that was so like just every day was on fire. Mm-hmm. And I had the, you know, the forward kind of shoulder a little bit. I it just had so much pain. And this was because my traps were taking over everything and I had little strength in my mid back muscles. Yeah, mid back. 
Yeah, like yeah, lower those are tedious, thoracic spine. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's for posture, you know, working on those, huge. Mm-hmm. And then once I kind of did the mobility work and like the targeted, you know, priming and really kind of built those a little bit, once I started deadlifting, my back just absolutely like blew up from that. And since then, it's been like, all right, I feel like amazing. I have no more back pain. I have awesome posture that's really just kind of cemented for me. And so I rarely have to do like mobility type work for especially like my upper body, my hips do get like tight. And so I will incorporate that. But but yeah, that's kind of my story. Yeah, that's that's and that's that's what I hear and see really often, you know, so it's like the geography of the body. Like just think of it in terms of the physicality aspect of it. Like you can't grow things when there's no space to grow them in. You know, like I can't like we can use a metaphor even like I can't make a beautiful garden, no yard space, you know, like maybe you can do like a hydroponic setup or something like that, <laughs> but like a Frankenstein type of thing. But generally speaking, you need the space to grow, you know, and the way you get the space to grow is by doing like prehab, rehab, mobility type movements that are really just just controlled, aware practices of like progressive overload in different ranges of motion, you know, that you are typically weak in, you know, and what that does is it create the space for your body to actually grow the muscle that you need to interact with the environment the way you want to interact with the environment, you know? Yep. And once you once you do that, your body is like, oh, okay, this is how it's supposed to work. Amazing. Like, oh, okay, I can I can pump blood to this area now. Like you you don't even have like the lanes open for the blood to get to those places a lot of times. So you can create the muscle fibers that you need. You know? Yep. Like I've seen I've seen athletes do I had this one mentor who he would assess some of his clients. And he had like a list of people waiting to work with him, you know, and he would assess them and he would notice like all these deficiencies in their mobility. And this was like a ways back when like mobility wasn't really a thing as much, you know, and he would make them do only rehab, prehab, mobility type work for like two to four months, basically. That's it. They're not allowed to do strength training. They're not allowed to do their old things. And some of them would just, would just quit. They'd be like, F this. And he was, he was kind of a hard ass about it. You know, but he could kind of afford to be because he had like a waiting list of people and the results to, to prove it. But he would make them do that. And the ones who really bought in and did that, like some of them looked like they were taking steroids, basically. You know, like people would ask them, and they would go from like, like, I knew this one guy who went from like a skinny, like kyphotic bent over kind of dude who looked like he had, he'd been weight training for a little bit, you know, but not like anything special. And then he did mobility work for like two to four months, you know, and he was struggling too. And the struggle is actually a lot of times what builds the muscle anyhow. He was struggling. And then like around that three month kind of time period, just started blowing up like blowing up and just 
everybody was like, what are you doing? And he's like, the same thing you see me doing in the gym every single time I'm here, you guys. I'm not, I haven't changed anything else. It's not, there should be no guesswork. Like you watch me. I see you watching me. This is what I'm doing. These stupid exercises that this coach is making me do that look really freaking weird, you know, and tedious. And I look like a fish out of water most of the time with, but yeah, that's what, that's what I'm doing. And, and that's why I look like I'm on steroids right now. That's, that's awesome. That the biggest like muscle that kind of comes to mind for me with this is I, I hear that, you know, men who have a hard time growing their chest, it's mm-hmm. often because they have the forward shoulder, the, yeah, the, the space. Yes, yeah. exactly. And so when they're able to like, get their posture right they they open that space they're they're able to take the muscle through actual you know full range of motion and right really kind of see the gains that they want to see yeah yeah and a lot of times like right now it's almost it's almost too easy in a way like because there's so many typical areas for people you know that just are getting beat up and put into bad positions for way too long you know that you can kind of, you can, you can see it after a while, like, oh, that person's like chest, for example, is, is super tight. And you can tell their upper back is like severely undertrained in relation to the front of their body because everybody does national bench press day on Mondays at the gym, you know? And by the time it gets to Thursday to do their upper back and their shoulder and posture work, they're like, oh, I'm too tired or sore from national chest day. You know? Yeah. Nobody, nobody gives me any props for like, doing like these weak ass exercises that I suck at. But I'll just wait until Monday so I can boost my ego again. You know? Yeah, and yeah the- people love training the muscles they see in the mirror. That was me yeah. for a while with my shoulders. I was I was gain I was gaining all this size in my shoulders. What happened? Oh, I had all these back issues because I wasn't prioritizing mm-hmm. my posterior chain. Right. And that's really what makes the athlete is the posterior oh, chain. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like the speed muscles and the longevity muscles and like this is going back into the evolution phase again, but like the the reason I won't get into too much detail, but the reason we can make babies is because of the posterior chain, not because of the anterior chain as much, you know. So, so like you can't run after prey, for example, with a shitty posterior chain. You can't do a bunch of other things without a good posterior chain. Yeah, you need glutes, hamstrings, upper mm-hmm. back, mid back. Like those are those are so key, and and you know, top level athletes like those muscles are so developed you know sprinters that's running that's all you know glutes hamstrings mm-hmm. etc that's mm-hmm. what makes like a good power lifter is is oftentimes like their back mm-hmm. yeah yeah totally and not a tight and and a mobile one is even better because i mean it used to be in the powerlifting world you would get a lot of like big brutes you know giant belly and it's still there a little bit i would say a good bit but there's a lot of people nowadays who are breaking that mold who are like extremely mobile and like well balanced you know that like are killing it in their respective weight classes because they they checked all those boxes basically yeah 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 so finding a mobility routine that is you know going to help you with the potential issues you might have is is really really impactful especially if you have any sort of pain I don't need to live in pain. Pain is not normal. Pain is a sign that your body's trying to tell you, hey, you know, there's something off and we need to, you know, kind of focus in on that and see how you can improve there. And I would say the learning curve for mobility work, honestly, it's probably a little bit more 
negative initially than it is for like, you know, working on the mirror muscles. But the, but the reward is actually, I would say a little bit faster. I think you get a little bit quicker reward when you work on your mobility a little bit more. So like the, it's harder to get started a lot of times, I would say with people with mobility work, but because it's boring, right? Yeah. it's And, <laughs> and it's usually focused on the things you suck at, you know, that you're, that you feel, you feel like you're in a bit of an alien environment a lot mm-hmm. of times, you know, and, and when I've been, when I was working on my gait at first, a, an indicator that I was doing it right, honestly, was the feeling of like weirdness, honestly, that I felt when I was doing it, quote, unquote, right, you know? So it, it's sometimes being comfortable with that weirdness, you know, and having, having the knowledge and the vindication that you are doing the right thing you know, that will help push you through that. That would be my advice, basically. If you're, if you're thinking about starting on a mobility journey, like the, the weirdness is, is a lot of times an indicator that you're on the right path, you know, and, and do it. You really don't, don't need to do it for that long until you really start to feel the benefits and effects. And then that'll help reinforce it pretty quickly. Yep. I love it. This is an awesome chat. Thank you so much for coming on, Mike. So many gems in this podcast today. Anything you want to leave the listeners with? And where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram as Coach Vivo, V-I-V-O. We're all about training for life. And if you're trying to figure things out and you don't know where to start, I always tell people we do a two-week free trial. A lot of times I'll give people a whole, a whole program and list of things to do. Basically, at that time, you can get it for free and then you can figure out whether or not that's going to be useful for you. But that's kind of like my gateway drug because most of the time it's really useful and then we can get the ball rolling and get started that way. Love it. Again, thank you so much. And I will put all of your info in the show notes so you can go find Coach Vivo. Yeah. Thank you again. And we will talk soon. Yeah. Good chatting with you. Thanks, Anna. Yeah. All right. Bye.